Southwest Christian High School community. This is Mr. Goldie, uh, Director of Spiritual Formation, and here with Corey Megstad, our speaker for today and uh, this week, rather, for Encounter. And I said, Mogstad? Mogstad, Magstad, Mogstad. I want to say Mag. Yeah, (laughs) Take your pick. So we're just going to spend a little time asking, Corey, you a couple questions, just as follow-ups for some things, get to know you a little bit better. First of all, love the glasses uh, for those of you that are listening. Uh, he's got these octagonal glass rims that are just sweet. Technically, yeah, cool. they're only seven sides. What? The, the one here is like longer, so there's only seven. It's a really? octagonal pair really? of glasses. Okay, well, that, now I'm mind blown. <laughs> Boom. Okay. Right? Yeah, that's sweet. So uh, can you speak a little bit? Corey, to like, you know, you're talking a little bit, trying to challenge our community with reference to things that were comfortable, people were comfortable being around, not comfortable being around, some of those parameters, but, uh, and also your, um, call it a ministry, uh, is yep. it called Launch Ministries? Launch or? Ministry, yeah. Okay. And um, I just don't know, because I know there's so many, you know, that like secular, sacred crossover stuff with um, fundraising and things you do with this, but I wonder uh, if you could share a little bit with us about like, what brought you here? Like, how did you end up doing this? Yeah, so um, my fiance and I, now my wife, um, were invited to be part of a new church plant that was going to be in Chaska called the River, um, and um, we decided to to come be part of that. It was um, a core group of mostly college students and um, a few faculty and staff, um, and so we engaged with that. And then I became the um, associate pastor um, while I was still a senior at Crown and then hmm. became the full-time associate um, with the president of Crown was kind of the, the part-time senior pastor. And um, and we just kind of had a plan to transition me into the, the senior pastor role. So I was the pastor there for a little over eight years. Hmm. Um, actually, I, um, Ann Broskoff, who's faculty here, um, was um, one of the first, their family was one of the first families to, to join our church. Hmm. Um, and so um, that was like way back in 2002, I think. Okay. Um, so I was pastor here in, t- in town for you're, about you're eight years. you your age now, Corey. Yeah. I know, I'm yeah. getting yeah. old. <laughs> um, I was a very young pastor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as kind of the last year or so of my, our time at the church, I was really just kind of struggling with my role there and feeling discontent. Um, I think in hindsight, probably Holy Spirit leading to to something different. And one of the big things that I was struggling with was I, I just felt like we weren't connecting well to to those who um, were on the outside and that, that we were, there was maybe some stagnancy or, or whatever. I don't know how you would describe it, but um, announced to the church that I was going to step down and we had like a six month transition period where they were going to look for their new pastor and I was going to s- stick around to, to help guide that that transition. And during that six months, some of our, our youth had come to us, or former youth, they were young adults now, and said, hey, we, we just really feel like there um, needs to be kind of a young adult thing. Um, we're like, not, we're too old for youth group, but, but we don't really connect with the adults in the church, and, and we just feel like there's a lot of need, and, and would you guys be willing to do like a young adult Bible study? And we said, sure, let's, let's start something and see what happens. Um, that same week, my um, friend Andrew, who is a youth pastor at Valley Free Church here in Chaska, um, contacted me and said, hey, we're having a bunch of young adults saying that, that they feel like they need something. They're post-youth group kids, and they just are struggling. Um, can we, like, talk about that? And so we, long story short, we decided to do something together. We just put the word out and said, let's get everybody in place and, and kind of find out what's going on, see what their needs are. And so we put the word out to all of our former youth group kids and had like 20 kids show up for this, this first gathering. And as we kind of got in a big circle, we just asked the question, so what's going on? What, what brings you here? Why, why did you respond to our, our invite? And it was remarkable as we went around the room. The first person said, hi, my name's, um, I'll call her Jennifer. Um, I am, um, 
you know, 19 years old. I just found out this week that I'm pregnant. Um, my boyfriend's a meth addict and I don't know what I'm going to do. And so we mm. talked with her for a little bit. Um, next person, um, hi, my name is John. I'm 24 years old. Um, my mom just died two days ago. Um, I'm just a mess. I, I don't know how I'm going to respond to this. I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm. Um, next person, um, hi, my name is Dave. Um, I'm the um, meth addict boyfriend uh, from the, the first girl. And, oh, and um, I'm 23 years old. Gosh. I've not been sober for more than a week since I was 13. Um, now I've mm. got this kid on the way. I don't have a job. Mm. I, I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it was just person after person as we went around the room. There were there was this deep seated need um, for um, for mature adults to speak into their lives, and they were disconnected from church, family, um, anybody stable who could actually offer that kind of advice. And then there were so many disconnects at that time. Some of that has has shifted now, but at that time um, there were so many disconnects to accessing like county services um, based on your age. Like you couldn't get. Um, well, health insurance, for example, like at that point, a 19 year old couldn't um, stay on their parents' health insurance anymore. Um, some of those kinds of changes have happened, but there were all these like difficulties with accessing other kinds of services where they didn't know how to navigate these really complicated systems that were not designed for them. Um, and so I went away from that that night and um, just um, kind of talked to my wife and said, what do you think? <laughs> I feel yeah. like this is the thing. Um, hmm. And um, she'd been staying at home with our little kids at that point, And she said, so it sounds like I get to go back to work, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, which has been a long history of, of my wife, um, s- supporting my nonprofit startup ha- habits. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so then from that point on, we were like, okay, let's, let's figure this out. What do you, what, what is a, a ministry to struggling young adults look like, um, over time that, that crystallized and, and, um, cause that was 2000. Um, 2009 was when we had those initial uh, conversations. So we're now like 12 years removed from that. And um, along the way, homelessness became really one of the key features that we were seeing in our young people. And so we've designed a lot of our programming around um, youth and housing crisis and how to to best um, serve them. But really at our heart, we're still a mentoring program, which is where we started and Hmm. and engaging young people who are struggling with setting goals and and figuring out how to take next steps forward. Hmm. Wow. That's, That's amazing. Yeah. Thanks, Corey. How do you think the Twin Cities at large is doing in taking care of its homeless population? Wow. That's a big question. I know it's pretty broad. That's a big question. And I think it's, um, I think there, it's a tough question because there are like pockets. And like, if you look at the overall system, um, there are huge issues. And, And the things that make the news are not necessarily the things that are, are the, the good stories. So like in the news often is like homeless encampments where, where um, mm-hmm. folks who are living outside live in a park and then law enforcement comes in, clears that one out and then they move to a different park. And then a few months later they clear that one. Out. So you hear all these stories of these homeless encampments and no place to go. Um, and that's true. There's a, a significant shortage of, of shelter beds. I think the last stat I saw for youth shelter is that on any given night, there are roughly 8,000 youth across the Twin Cities Metro that have, or that's across the state, excuse me, um, that have no um, shelter bed or no place to stay Hmm. and roughly 300 um, shelter beds available. Hmm. Um, And so, you know, if you look at that, you know, there's a 20 fold difference between availability and need. Um, And so, um, so on that front, it's, um, it's not good. Um, But in some pockets, for example, um, the five county suburban system of Anoka, 
Carver, Scott, Dakota, and Ram or not Ramsey and Washington counties um, recently ended veteran homelessness within those five counties. Hmm. So what what does that mean? It, it means that um, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be any more veterans who are homeless, but it means that that if a veteran becomes homeless, there is a, a quick path towards a, a stable housing um, with the kinds of supports to ensure that that person does not become homeless again, that it doesn't reoccur. Mm. Right. So, mm. so, you know, there's pockets where things are going well. Youth homelessness has been one place where there's been a lot of investment um, in um, supports, but there's, there's still a, a huge gap. Um, and then I think the, just the whole system of, of, how do you move into something permanent and what, what are the sports like? So for example, um, people talk about, um, housing choice vouchers, um, used to be called section eight, um, as kind of a, a low income support system that can help somebody find permanent housing. Well, the, in order to get a housing choice voucher, um, you have to first get on a waiting list. Um, those are almost always closed. Um, mm-hmm. when they open up, there's a lottery, um, and, um, there might be, you know, 10,000 applications and they, they're putting a hundred people on the list. Mm. Um, so if you are lucky enough to get drawn, um, in that lottery, um, then th- you get put on the list and then roughly five to seven years from now, you're going to get to the top of the list and get a voucher. Um, and mm. so, and if you don't like stay connected with them, they, they, they kind of go through the list every year. Um, if you don't answer your phone that day or you don't get the email or maybe your phone number changed, um, you get booted from the list. So you've got to both be stable enough to keep your, your communication methods mm. and unstable enough that you're still going to need the voucher seven years from now. And so, mm. so there are a lot of those kinds of things where it's like, this doesn't make sense. We need to have better and faster ways for, for people to get the kind of support that they need. Mm. Um, so, so I, I don't know if that's an answer to your question. There, there's yeah. lots of lots yeah, of, part of the, deep part of holes the, and deep flaws, sure. and but there's the also reason, a lot of good things happening. Part of, yeah, that's yeah, makes sense. Part of the reason I asked too is to, to wonder about the <laughs> issue of helping those who are in that situation, and whether you know, just thinking about the Twin Cities at large, but then also thinking about like a lot of the things you addressed today about people were willing to welcome or not willing to welcome, and whether or not that's like a just a. a a, a cultural, secular thing, or distinctly even, is there, are there distinctives about, say, Christian culture that make it uh, more difficult or better? In other words, I guess another way of asking this is, um, how's the church doing with reference to stepping in and helping out? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say, again, it's pockets. Yeah. Um, there are I think churches that are doing hard, very you well. don't want to make a sweeping statement. <laughs> um, and there are others cities, that are, are yeah, not sure. But I, what's I your think, impression? You know, I think experience. Yeah. One of the things that I think is challenging for the, the church when it comes to engaging in this space is um, often there are ulterior motives. Um, and, um, you know, converting somebody to Jesus great motive. We want to, we, we as believers love Jesus and we want everybody to know Jesus, but, if that becomes the primary goal for the relationship with with somebody who's experiencing homelessness or other crisis, then it's it's not a real relationship. It's a, it's a target, right? Um, and so so often, um, and, and this I think has improved over time. But often churches that try to engage the space have a very strong um, conversion type message, or you must participate in this faith-based thing in order to engage our services, or you need to come to this, this church service every week or every day in order to get your, your meal at the food shelf or the food pantry, like, like those kinds of things, I think are places where it's, where the church can do, do more harm than it needs to, um, when they're, they're engaging here. I think many spaces are 
not doing that. So again, again there's churches that, that get this, that, that recognize that what it means to be Christian is I have compassion and generosity towards those who are in need and that that's with no strings attached. Um, and that my calling as a Christian is to, to support the, um, the, the person in need, the, the orphan, the widow, the, I mean, there's millions of verses in the Bible about, mm-hmm. about um, that kind of ethos. Um, and so I think when Christians get that and they just, just serve in love just to serve in love, um, then I think it's, it's more powerful. Um, and they still will often get those results that they, they want, <laughs> but, but it's, it's out of a mm-hmm. different kind of mindset. I think the other piece that, that is, is really challenging is um, just kind of the, the polarization and divisiveness of our political space um, right now, that, that there are so many, um, there, there's so little opportunity for, for compromising around, around things like social programs, because um, there, there's kind of an ethos on one side that says, well, if you just work hard enough, you pull yourself up at your bootstraps, you, um, you wouldn't be in this crisis to begin with. These are personal choices that you've made that are, are your own doing, and, and any help or support that you, that you get um, is going to be short and limited, and, and if you can't figure it out, then I mean, you're, you're on your own. Um, it's not usually that that harsh, but that's kind of the the feel, right? Um, and then on the other side, it's these these are issues that are bigger and systemic, and and um, we will we need to support um, kind of bigger, broader programs, um, more and more money, and and there's kind of this this sense of of money is going to solve all the problems. Mm. Um, and I think both of these are wrong, but it's really hard mm. to to take somebody who's in one of those those places and and move them to a a space where they can actually talk and engage and, and figure out a, a solution for their for their own community. And churches are just caught kind of right in, in the middle of that, um, often landing fully on one side or the other and, and not being a space where, where yeah. as, as spirit-filled believers, we can engage the social issues in a way that we can find constructive solutions together. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. Yeah, thanks for that perspective. That's, that's good. Uh, one final question. Let's just say I'm a student or an adult sitting in the audience, and I'm kind of like, maybe I'm more concrete and more practical, like, okay, Corey, yes, I, and I don't mean to belittle your message, which is really good to say, like, there's lots of people we just out the outset don't welcome and are not comfortable being around. Uh, a lot of people might say, what can I do? You know, what do I do today? Mm-hmm. What do I do tomorrow? You know, and again, that can be harmful re- recognizing if your motives are in the wrong place, but is there some level at which there's some practical suggestions concerning, like, what can I do today? Yeah, one of the things that we talked about at the end of the Wednesday session that we didn't get into in the Friday um, group was this idea of intent and impact. Um, and, and I think, because I think to answer your question, like, what can I do has to get down to kind of out of the um, abstract and into the, the practical. And the practical is, who do I see? Who do I interact with? Who do I meet today? Right. It's, it's actual relationships with actual people, not just like this broader idea of I should welcome the stranger or mm-hmm. I should. Um, it's it's it, so it, it's how do I engage in the relationships that I have, whether they're real, like ongoing relationships or whether it's just kind of strangers. And so the idea of, of intent is mm-hmm. what did I what did I mean? Um, what was I trying to communicate to a person, um, either my words or my actions? Um, and impact is how were those those words or actions received by the person who received them? So we use this in our, our racism training in our uh, with our volunteers all the time, because often what happens um, is... Um, somebody, whether it's, whether it's race or economics or whatever, somebody from a different social class, um, the, the words that you say are received differently than, than you intend them. Hmm. Right. And you do harm, um, that you didn't even know you were doing. Um, most of us are not like intentionally trying to say something racist or do something offensive. Right. Um, and so we say something, the person says, wow, that was really harmful. Like you, 
hurt me by like, why did you say something or do something that was so racist? Um, the response that the, the first person often gives is, whoa, whoa, whoa I'm not racist. I, I'm, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. That wasn't what I meant. Um, and that we get really defensive. Mm. And when you get really defensive, you minimize the hurt that happened to the, to the other person. You're, the mm. impact that you had was, um, was, was, was harm. And, mm. and now you're doubling down on the harm by saying, well, I didn't, I didn't mean it. And so as far as the, what does this mean in a really practical level? In all of mm. our relationships, <laughs> learning to say, I need to apologize when I do harm. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to be able to look at myself and say, oh, that, that you told me that I harmed you. I'm going to, I'm going to re- repent of that. Another component and, of that is the person telling them they were harmed. Right? Yeah. I mean, and so that communication, I mean, the, the fact that they even took the risk to tell you yeah, is, is huge. Yeah, and so that, right. that shows that you've already had at least some level of, of trust built. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so like, that's one little tool, right? And so but I think to your, your question is, how do we, we do this? It's it's practicing in all of those little relationships, all of those little choices that we have throughout the day, mm-hmm. whether it's within a friend group at school, whether it's with a a um, person at the gas, gas station or grocery store. Like it's it's practicing being the kind of person that says, I don't know the full story and I don't know have the full perspective on the world. And when I hear a different perspective of how things are, being willing to embrace that and, and, and change. When you practice that, I mean, this is discipleship, right? You you become different over time. And as you mm. become different over time, you become the kind of person who can engage in spaces where, where people are really struggling and hurting and not come in and do harm, but come in and be um, a supportive of person that can, can help build up. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Well, Corey, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for fielding these questions. Once again, this is uh, Brian Goldie, Southwest Christian High School podcast here with uh, our speaker today, Corey Moxa. Corey, thanks for being with us. Great Appreciate to be here. It.